thank you, Rita, for um, for joining us this evening. This is a foundation meeting, and we open up the floor to you. Thank you very much. Hi, my name is Risa Milne. I am a recovered alcoholic. I have been sober since March 3rd, 2004. And uh, I just want to say thank you very much for hosting me and for Nadia for asking me. Um, originally, I was supposed to be doing this with my my husband, who's also on, on the meeting today. Um, however, he got his dates confused and he has to work. <laughs> so you're just getting me. I hope uh, I hope I do this uh do this service uh good um let's see so a foundation meeting um when i first heard about a foundation meeting i i was 16 years sober i had no clue what a foundation meeting was um and um i quickly learned that um what a foundation meeting is is it's a meeting that goes through um, the big book to give an overall foundation of what alcohol is or what alcohol, not what alcohol, I think we all know what alcohol is, but um, to give a foundation of what alcoholism is, um, what our program is, what the solution in the big book is, and what the program of action is um, in regards to that. And, um, and how it came about was there were um, there was beginner meetings um, and, and beginner meetings were often, um, you know, people who were new to Alcoholics Anonymous coming in and, and, and what they found at, um, at this meeting. Uh, is that the, um, is that these uh, meetings were we're not really talking about what alcoholism was. They weren't talking about the steps. They were just kind of places for people to go and, and complain or, or be upset, you know, at what's going on. And, and, and there was no real foundation of what alcoholism is, what Alcoholics Anonymous is and, and the solution. So they started doing these foundation meetings um, to give that, that newcomer and, and the person who's suffering from alcoholism, the ability to know that there's a solution out there and what that solution looks like. So, um, as I had said earlier, um, when I was just kind of on with the area's Western Cape group, um, before there was other people joining on Zoom, is I am going to be going through the big book um, a lot. So, if you do want to follow along with me, you may want to get your book um, and uh, to follow along. Uh, what where where I start is the actual very title page, Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so on this page um, is it's a it's a promise uh, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. So I'm going to be I I, I introduced myself as a recovered alcoholic and I'm going to be saying the word recovered a bunch. I'm just going to let this sit here for a minute. Um, what our book says is that we have recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body. It does not say that we are cured from alcoholism as a whole. What it means is that um, our, our illness is that of one that's in our body and one that's in our mind, which I'll get into a little bit more. And what it, all it means that I've recovered is I no longer put alcohol in my body and I no longer think about putting alcohol in my body. And that's really what, when I say that I've recovered from this thing, that's what I mean is, is that I no longer have the desire to put it in my body 
And I no longer constantly am thinking about putting it there. So we're going to go from this first page, we're going to go to the page XI, which is the first page of the preface. And that middle paragraph, it says, because this book has become the basic text for our society. So what that means is this book is a textbook. And when I think of a textbook, I think of a book that needs to be learned as a student. It needs to be taught by a teacher. And then it has guides in there for me to practice, you know? Um, and so this is, this is what um, our textbook is. And this is the textbook of Alcoholics Anonymous. This is where I'm going to find the directions in which I'm going to eventually recover from what we said, this hopeless state of mind and body. Um, and with that, I'm going to also go to the next page, XIII, which is the forward to the first edition. And we talks a little bit more about what this book is about. We of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show others, alcoholics, precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. For them, we hope these pages will prove so convincing that no further authentication will be necessary. We think this account of our experiences will help everyone to better understand the alcoholic. Okay, so in order to understand Alcoholics Anonymous a little bit more and to understand this book a little bit more, we need to know a little bit more about our history of alcoholism. You know, alcoholism has been around since the beginning of time, since the beginning of the time where humans learned that if you ferment fruit, it will have a desired effect. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and people have been drinking alcoholically since that beginning. And, um, and so since that, there have been alcoholics causing chaos, being a ruckus all throughout society, going, you know, nuts, becoming, you know, um, you know, getting into these hopeless states of, 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 you know, life. And really there had never been a real solution to this problem until 1935. And no matter what you think about the world or the earth, that's a really long time for alcoholism to be destroying lives and families of, you know, friends of, of the alcoholic um, for taking over, you know, all of human society for them to finally come up to the solution at nine in, in 1935. And so, um, what happened was there, there had been like pockets of places here and there that had come up with partial solutions of, of alcoholism, but nobody really had all of these things put together until, you know, we find through Bill Wilson, through Dr. Bob, through the Oxford group and through Dr. Young and Dr. Silkworth all of these things came together in this beautiful, miraculous way to create a program in which people not only didn't have to drink again, but could live happily and freely and joyfully without drinking anymore. And so that was huge because at that time, when, 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 
Bill was trying to get sober, the only real options for, for someone who was a chronic alcoholic was to be put into a mental institution to put to death or, or not to be put to death, but death itself or to, to be placed under lock and key. Um, and, and those aren't real happy, fun choices to live by. You know, and and the more I learn about what those mental institutions looked like, it, it wasn't like we go to, to inpatient or detox today where it's, you know, like some of them have horseback riding and some of them have spas and some of them have all these wonderful things like Bill in his story talks about hydrotherapy. And the more I've looked into hydrotherapy, I used to think when I read that, I used to think that this was like some sort of wonderful spa treatment, you know, like, oh, I'm just going to go in a jacuzzi, maybe into a sauna, enjoy life a little bit, realize how good my skin is. And all of a sudden I'm not going to want to drink again. Like it was, my brain is really weird when I start to think about things um, like that. But really what hydrotherapy was, um, they, they did it in many different ways. Um, there's a, a picture um, in, in one of the history books on alcoholism of, of these men standing naked in these stalls. Mm -hmm. And what they did was they would turn the, they would turn like a, almost like a fire hose on them and shoot them with water um, in this idea of just I don't know, shooting the alcoholism out of them, shooting them into like this, this um, way of life. I'm not quite sure what it was supposed to do. Other situations where they would put the alcoholic in this boiling vat of water for a certain amount of time. And until they passed out, they then threw them into an ice bath until they were passed out and then threw them back in and back and forth. So this is not very fun enjoyable spa kind of things this hydrotherapy type thing and and other solutions that they had in these mental institutions at the time were were extremely barbaric so when they come back to this and they say this is a book that to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book what they have found is a solution to the alcoholic problem that does not require these barbaric methods. It allows us to be able to live happy, joyous, and free without alcohol in our lives. And it allows us to live with, with, with being, you know, a participant in your own life with, with being able to have a purpose of the life again. And so, you know, to me, if I'm looking at, you know, what my choices are, you know, following some directions that are in this book is a little bit better than, than, than the other choices that used to be around. So they, they set to put these directions into print in this book. And, and I gotta say, this book has saved my life time and time and time again, not just when I was first sober, but even as you know, my, my sobriety would get dry and crusty and rotten. All I have to do is pick up this book, start to practice these principles again in my life and, and my life can become happy, joyous and free again. So from here, we're going to go, um, we're going to go to page 20, uh, no, not 20, 30. Okay, we're going to go to page 30. Uh, it's the first page about more about alcoholism. 
So we learn in the middle of that page, the paragraph starts, we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. All right. So this is telling me what the first step in recovery is. Um, and, and yes, there's the first step on the wall, um, you know, in the first in the in the 12 steps. Um, but what this is saying is I need to fully concede to my innermost self that I'm an alcoholic. I can't tell you how many times I have sat with somebody, either they've been around the rooms for a few months, for a few years, they've come in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I've sat down with them and I said, what is alcoholism? What does it mean to be an alcoholic? And they sit there and they go, well, it means that I'm powerless over alcohol. And I say, okay, well, what does that mean? And they say, well, that means I can't drink safely. And I go, but why? And they said, because I, I cause all this misery in my life when I drink. I go, but why? And I, I keep trying and, and it's, it astonishes me to how many people who are in the rooms who, who come to Alcoholics Anonymous who don't know what alcoholism is. And so it's, it's pretty important, you know, if I'm going to follow some instructions that it will say, I don't really want to follow. If I need to follow these things for my life, I better know that I have what it is you have so that if I do what you do, I can be relieved of that obsession, uh, relieved of this disease as well. So we're going to talk about what is alcoholism. It's pretty important to know what you got if you want to recover from it. So we're going to go over to, in the doctor's opinion, XVIIII. At least I'm going, my numbers are, are XXVIII. It's 28 in Roman, Roman numerals. And uh, any of the pages that I that I say, I'm in a fourth edition of, of, of the book. So um, those are the, those are my numbers that I'm going by. So the first thing, this is Dr. Silkworth. Dr. Silkworth was this amazing man. He originally was an, a neurologist, okay? But in the in the 1930s, he lost his practice. And because it was the Great Depression over here in America, he had no um, real ability to make money. And he started to work kind of for pennies at this hospital, Towns Hospital, which was um, a nationally known institution for drug and alcohol rehab. And what Dr. Silkworth would, would recognize was that there would be a whole bunch of people coming in for drug and alcohol rehabilitation. And he would see that 10% of these people, 90% of these people would take these belladonna treatments or the hydrotherapies or, you know, all of these, these treatments that, that they saw, and they would go out and they would either be able to control and enjoy their drinking, or they could go and have happy, joyous and free lives without drinking, without a program of action, without anything else. That was all they needed. And off they went. But he noticed that there was 10% of these people who continued to come back over and over and over again. And not only did they come back, but they were worse every time they came back. There, they, they had not received really any sort of relief from these treatments. And he started to become kind of, you know, interested in these people and he wanted to know what was going on with them. And so back at that time, what it was, was everybody felt that alcoholism was a problem of moral control. 
You know, you, you, you just don't have enough willpower to stop. You need to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You're, you're a bad person. You're a sinner, all of those things. And that was, that was the, the basic belief around alcoholism. Nobody really understood that this was also a problem in the body. And what Dr. Silkworth was, was he was one of the first people to ever realize that there was something wrong with the body of an alcoholic, as well as their mind. And so what he he talked about was this allergy. So at the top of this page, in this in this writing that he wrote that we have in our book, it says, we believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy, that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. Now that's a whole lot of words that almost are garbled in my mouth. <laughs> so I'm going to I'm going to cu- cut it back a little bit. So what he's saying is there's this allergy, this 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 thing that looks like an allergy, it affects our body in a way that's different than normal people. And at the time he says this is a phenomenon. He didn't understand why it happened. He just knew it did. So he was saying that he didn't have any understanding of why this happens, but when an alcoholic drinks, something happens in their body. Now, there's been a lot of science around this since since Dr. Silkworth had written this. If you want to Google the alcoholic uh, metabolism or what alcohol does to an alcoholic's body, you can. That's, I don't, I can't fully comprehend it to you and, and tell you about it. All I know is that when I was out there drinking and I would put alcohol in my body, I didn't get a rash. I didn't get itchy. You know, I didn't get itchy. I didn't get hives. You know, I didn't get any of those things. So you're sitting here telling me I'm coming into Alcoholics Anonymous and you're now telling me that I have an allergy to alcohol. And what you're saying to me is I can't drink it. And I'm looking back at you saying, that never happened. Like, I don't have an allergy, you know? So I have to understand what this means a little bit more. And what I do is I like to look at this person I know who is a very normal drinker, my mother-in-law, okay? So my mother-in-law, she drinks. And she doesn't drink a lot, but she does like to have a glass of wine or two on a holiday or a social event. And what I watch when my my mother-in-law gets this glass of wine and she she pours the glass of wine, she takes some, she she sips it, she might take a, a few drinks, not just sips. And you know, about halfway down, she sets it down, she she puts it over to the side, then she'll find it again, and she'll drink a little bit more here and there. And then she starts saying things like, Ooh, I'm starting to feel it. Or, ooh, I'm getting a little warm. Or even, oh, this is giving me a bit of a headache. I'm going to stop. That's what she does. You know, sometimes the whole glass goes. Sometimes she's in a glass and a half. Being the alcoholic, wonderful daughter-in-law I am, I always know where her wine is. And I always know how much she's drinking <laughs> um, because I'm just, you know, that's who I am. Um, but yeah, she, she, she'll say like things like, oh, I have a headache. I'm going to stop now. And I look at her and I go, Ann, you have to push through that. Like you got to push through the headache. You keep drinking. The headache will eventually go away. Um, but she's she's been able to get the effect by alcohol that she's looking for. Me. 
allergy back in the day that this book was written and back when Dr. Silkworth was was writing it wasn't really even a word in the dictionary. If you go back to a 1934 Webster's Dictionary or 1936, it's in the new word section. It wasn't even a medical term. And at the time it said um, a physical abnormality. We react physically abnormal. Okay, that was it. That was all it was. So I'm going to tell you what happens when I put a drink in my body. Okay. We are both, me and my mother-in-law are both going for a certain effect at this time. At, this is at the end of my drinking. So I'm going for the effect of just having a little social lubricant. That's in my head. That's what I think the effect I'm going for is. Okay. And, and my mother-in-law on Christmas, that's the effect she's going for. She gets that effect. She puts the wine down. She stops drinking it. She even pours it out. And that is it. I am invited out to go out with my girlfriends. Um, at the end of my drinking, I had um, jobs that were usually night shift or uh, evening shift. So I would go in at, um, you know, 11 p.m. or, uh, you know, uh, 20 uh, hour 20 for you guys. I, I'm American. So I go 11 p.m. Um, so I, I would go in at 11 p.m. and I would be out by um, like eight or nine the next day. Okay. And, and so my girlfriends would call and they would say, we're going out to the bar for a drink at six. My, what I was looking for is to go and be social with my friends, to have a drink or two and to be able to go to work. That's what I wanted to do. That was, that was my plan. Okay. And, and what would happen is, and my plan was I would go to work because I knew that I was on the last straw. And my boss said that if I don't show up for work, then I'm going to lose my job. And if I lost my job yet again, because it's now the sixth job I've lost in a year, I was going to have to go to my mom and ask for money. And if I was going to have to go to my mom and ask for money, I was going to have to endure lectures and, you know, the disappointment and she would have to tell my grandparents and then my grandparents would be disappointed in me. And then I'd have to go for the lectures about how my cousins are so much more successful and better than me. And I would start to hate myself even more than I already did um, because I, you know, was such a loser. And, um, and, and so in, in that state of mind, I went out with my girlfriends to have one or two. I would be at work when I said I was supposed to be at work. That was my state of mind. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what happens when I put alcohol in my body is I start to drink and something happens. It's a phenomenon. The doctor says what it looks like, what this allergy looks like to me is I've changed my mind. Okay. That's what happens a craving comes over my body that I need more alcohol and I need more alcohol now. That's what happens inside. But in my mind, what it looks like is I've changed my mind. You know what? I know I said I was going to have one or two, but it's Betsy's birthday and she really wants me to have another shot with her. So let me have another shot with Betsy, you know? And, and I have that another shot with Betsy and, you know, well, but she's, she's having, I don't want to be the one who reigns on that parade. So let me have another shot with Betsy or let me have a shot with Betsy's buddy, you know, and, and, 
And, and that's what it looks like. That's what this allergy looks like. Really what's going on in my body is alcohol. Like it's like this monster, like alcohol, 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 get in me more, 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 more. But in my brain, what it looks like is I've changed my mind. And as the alcohol starts to build up in my body, it's screaming for more alcohol and more alcohol and more alcohol. And what I start to do at this time, and this is still just the allergy going on in my body. So this is what's going on now is I start doing the alcoholic math. I have to be at work at 11. I have to leave here at at 1030. I have to straighten out so I can drive a little bit before that. So if I, if I stop drinking now and I just start drinking water, and I have a sandwich, I can probably have another drink or two and then just water for the rest of the night until I have to go to, to, to work. And I start doing this math, these mental exercises around how I can get myself to work, but keep drinking the way I really, really need to keep drinking. Okay. And that's, and then eventually as I'm doing this mental exercise, I never actually drink the water and I never actually have that sandwich. I just keep pounding back, you know, shots or, you know, whatever anybody's passing my way at this point. I'm like, whatever, as I'm thinking about this. And so then I realize I'm not going to work. I know I'm now too wasted to drive and I'm not going to work like this. So now I start with the mental exercises of who's, who's, who can I say has died? You know, who can I say might be in the hospital? What what possible illnesses are going around right now? Is strep throat a thing at the moment? Is the flu going around? Let me let me figure out what it is that might be possibly be going around that I can call in with. Because at least if I call in and I have a good excuse, maybe I'll I'll get away with it this last time. And sure enough, I finally come up with the perfect excuse at 1130 at night. So way past the time I'm already supposed to be there. And I think to myself, well, I'm already not, I've already missed my job. I've already missed what I was planning on doing. Let's go balls to the wall all the way. Let's go. Let's get wasted, you know, and stop trying to control it all together. That's the allergy. That's the allergy that comes in me. When I go out to get a certain effect, and I just put one in my body, I either surpass completely the effect that I'm going for, or those other times where I do go out to get absolutely wasted, I am going out to get trashed, I can't even get there. I react abnormally to alcohol. So, at the bottom of this page, it talks about this alcoholic cycle. We're going to go back to that story of, of, of letting you know what happens through this drinking process. It says men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. It doesn't say alcoholics. It says men and women. There are many people who are not alcoholic who love the effect produced by alcohol. I was a social worker in, in trade a while ago. I would I would work with a whole bunch of people who are like, oh, I can't wait to get home and just have one glass of wine. They liked the effect produced by alcohol. They loved it. Um, I loved it. Alcohol was a solution for me. You know, I I 
I couldn't live without alcohol. I couldn't look in the mirror without alcohol. I couldn't, I couldn't think good about myself without alcohol. Alcohol was the solution in my life. And then it says the sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious. So elusive means I can't tangibly get it again. So when I first start drinking, it is something that I loved. And then every single time after it, because of this allergy, I am unable to grasp this, this, this sensation again, because I usually, when I finally get to that point where I'm trying to get where that, like ah, my head goes, oh, this is so good. Let me have more. It will be better. And that takes me off and running again. Um, they admit it is injurious that they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. So for the true from the false, the truth is when I drink, I lose jobs. The truth is when I drink, I want to kill myself. The truth is when I drink, I lose friends. The truth is when I drink, I get in trouble. The truth for other people is when they drink, they end up in jail. The truth is when they drink, they have harmed people physically. The truth is, is that they, you know, have lost wives and children. I came into Alcoholics Anonymous originally when I was 22 years old. That stuff was not things in my life to lose. But for me, when I drank, I ended up in pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. I couldn't, sober, I could not look at myself in the mirror. Sober, I wanted to die. That was what alcohol did to me. That is the truth behind my drinking. However, it says I cannot differentiate the truth from the false. The false, we're going to go back to on page 30. <clears throat> The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. That is the, that's the false. The false is one day, somehow, some way, I am going to figure out a way to not only be able to drink, I'm going to be able to enjoy it and control it. And that word and is really important because I know when I was trying to control it, I was not enjoying my drinking. And when I was trying to, when I was enjoying it, I was not controlling it. It was all or nothing, you know, all or nothing for me. Trying to control my alcoholism was miserable. I tried to do that for the first 10 months that I was in Alcoholics Anonymous by not working the steps, by not really listening to a sponsor, by just trying to drink coffee with a bunch of people, play euchre, uh, use the meetings as a, as a place to complain and moan and cry and get people to pat my back and tell me I would be a better person if I just kept coming. That was what I did. And what happened was I felt like I was white knuckling my way through life. I couldn't go through the supermarket and go down the cookie aisle because the alcohol was on the other side. And if I went down the supermarket to get cookies, maybe I'd accidentally fall and alcohol would fall into my mouth. And so I couldn't go down that aisle. 
you know, and, and, and I couldn't go to concerts and I couldn't go to anywhere alcohol was being served. And I, and I was, I was in this own prison of my own, of my own making because I, I, I didn't know how to be free of this obsession. And so, and, and, and what would happen is uh, what did happen is at 10 months sober doing like making fun of every single person who talked about the big book and being so disgusted by the idea of the spiritual solution and not wanting anything to do with it at all. I sat in my misery at 10 months sober thinking, if this is what sobriety is, I don't want it. I don't want this at all. This is not happy, joyous, and free. I see these people laughing and having a great time. I'm not. I'm miserable. I want to die worse today than the day that I walked into Alcoholics Anonymous. My solution is alcohol. My problem is sobriety. My problem is trying to live a life without alcohol and not having any other substitute for it. So that's the truth. The truth is that somehow, someday, I'm never gonna be able to control and enjoy my drinking. I will always be an alcoholic. I am a chronic alcoholic. I get worse, never better. And so let's go back to this cycle that this doctor talks about. It says to them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented. A friend of mine and I, I stole this a while ago. I like to use it. Itchy, bitchy, and twitchy. Restless, irritable, and discontented. I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm unable to be content. Like I, when I want, when I'm inside, I need to be outside. When I'm outside, I need to be inside. When I'm in a room full of people, I want to be alone. When I'm, when I'm alone, I need to be in a room full of people. I am never happy. I am quick to anger. You look at me sideways and I am ready to start fighting you. You know, you, you, you say something to me in the wrong tone and I am ready to, to start putting fists up. I am miserable, stone cold, sober. This is without a drink in my body. And it says, unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks, just reading that. Just reading that brings me back to the first time I put alcohol in my body when I was sitting at my mom's kitchen floor and I found her bottle of Manischewitz wine, which is disgusting. And I was sitting there and I was so tense as a 12 year old kid. And I, I didn't, I didn't make a, a, I had no friends. My, my shoulders were just up to here. I was tight. I was tense. I hated life. I hated being me. Just saying that ease and comfort brings me back to sitting on my mom's kitchen floor and how, when I took that first swig of alcohol, my body and my muscles just started to melt down and my ease and comfort just came over me. And the thoughts in my head of, I'm just going to be okay. One more time. Now I'm going to be okay. 
just saying that brings me back to that moment. Drinks, which I see other people taking in with impunity, which I see my mother-in-law, my mother-in-law can have a drink of wine and she can do it without any problems, without punishment. That's what impunity means. P- drinks I see other people taking without punishment. She does that. And I think in my head, maybe one day, if I follow her around and I only drink the way she drinks, then I'm going to be able to do it. And then it says, after they've succumbed to the desire again, so I eventually my mind just takes over and I drink. And I go through this phenomenon of craving, which is this allergy that I'm now hypersensitive to alcohol and I need more now. I pass through the well-known stages of a spree. I drink my life away. I get to 1130 at night. I think to myself, you know what? I'm, I wasted this job away. I'm fired anyway. Let's go. My friends have left the bar completely gone. I'm now hanging out with who knows who. I don't even know these people's names. I I definitely don't know, you know, I don't know them, but wherever they're going and whatever they're planning to give me, I'm taking, you know, and I'm doing whatever. And I'm at this point losing all control of any reasonable positive choices I can possibly make regards to my alcohol in regards to any other substance I put in my body and in regards to who I'm hanging out with and the dangers that I put myself in it doesn't matter anymore because as long as I'm getting more alcohol that's all I care about and what the end of that night looks like is me walking up my driveway at six o'clock in the morning with my head hanging low Because I know, I never had blackouts. I know and I remember everything that I had just done to myself. And I'm walking up ashamed and and disgusted. And I think this is what it is. It says emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. I'm walking up my driveway thinking, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to drink like that again. I'm never going to put alcohol in my body ever again. This is what happens every single time. And I go into my apartment and I go rage cleaning and I take all the alcohol in my apartment and I throw it out into the garbage and I throw the dirty cat litter on it because somehow I think that's going to stop me. And, uh, and I pass out and I come to later in the day and that firm resolution to stop is no longer there. And I feel disgusted in who I am and I fear, feel irritable, restless, and discontented. And about two hours after waking up, after making that resolution that I would never do this again, I am crawling through my garbage, through the dirty cat litter pulling out the bottles that I had just thrown away, pulling out the box of wine that I just threw away and I am pouring it again and I'm off and running again. So the doctor says that this is repeated over and over. And unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. So what alcoholism is, is I have an allergy of the body. When I put alcohol in my body, 
I am hypersensitive to needing more alcohol in my body. And that would be all great. And putting the plug in the jug would be my answer if that was the only problem I had. But it's not. It's not. The second part of alcoholism we see over on page 23. On the top of 23, it says these observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind, okay, rather than in his body. So if I never put alcohol in my, in my body, then I would never have this allergy, right? And alcohol would be my problem. But my problem centers in my mind. It says down here, um, If you ask why he started on that last bender, the chances are he will offer you any one of a hundred alibis. Sometimes these excuses have a certain plausibility, but none of them really make sense in the light of the havoc an alcoholic's drinking bout creates. I, I am insane when it comes to alcohol. I know deep down within me, that when I drink, these horrible things happen over and over and over and over again. I want everybody to sit and think about the worst thing that ever happened to them while they were drinking. Just, you don't need to tell me, you don't need to raise your hand or anything like that, but just sit there for a minute and think about the absolute worst thing that ever happened to you while drinking. Oftentimes in meetings, we hear, just think it through, play the tape th through, remember the worst before the first. On page 24, it says at the top of that, at a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. When I was drinking, there were some horrendous things that happened to me that I put myself into. If I was sane when it came to alcohol, I would never pick up a drink ever again in my whole entire life. And yet I kept picking up over and over and over again with the belief that I had a choice. With the belief that I chose to pick up that drink again. But if I really looked at the havoc that my alcohol caused, and I was sane in regards to alcohol, I would never have picked it up again. And what this book says is I have absolutely no choice in if I pick up that drink again. I think I do. My mind thinks I do. I can sit here today, 19 years sober, and, and say to you, I chose not to drink today. But in reality, that's not the that's not the situation. If I could choose to pick up a drink or not, I don't need a 12-step program to help me. And so I'm sitting here with this mental obsession 
and 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 there's the squiggly writing anytime you see squiggly writing in this book what i want you to know is that this book was written on pennies the people who put this book together were had no money they had absolutely no money and these squiggly writing cost more money to put in the book and they were trying every which way to to keep the cost of this book down as much as they possibly could because they could not really afford to put it out so when you see that there's squiggly writing in here that means they had to put more money into those things that are in the book and what this says is the fact is that most alcoholics for reasons yet obscure have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. What that means is I can play the tape through I can remember the worst before the first and that might work nine out of 10 times that might work, but that 10th time I don't have enough sufficient force. My will is not sufficient enough to get me through that 10th time. And that's when I pick up the drink again. And that's when the cycle starts again. And what this says is, um, so that's what alcoholism is. It's a, it's a, there's, there's people who say it's a threefold illness. There's people who say it's a twofold illness. I personally believe that it is twofold illness. We have the, the allergy. We have the mental obsession. There are many people who add that spiritual malady in as the threefold part. There are so many people who have that spiritual malady in and outside the room. Entity in general, period. And so, you know, that, that spiritual malady is what keeps me sick and an extremely important part of the of this recovery and for me to understand that about myself. But the actual disease of alcoholism, it centers in my mind and I can't put it in my body. And really, very quickly, what that means is when I put it in my body, I can't stop drinking and I can't stop putting it in my body. That's it. That's what alcoholism is. And when I was able to be shown that with my sponsor and she was able to show me and match my experience up to her experience that matched up to the book's experience, I was able to see finally and concede absolutely and utterly to my innermost self that I am an alcoholic. That's not great news. (laughs) That's not great news. What that does do is it provides me with knowing there is a solution to that in this book. The solution though, if we read over on page 25, it says there is a solution. 
almost none of us liked. Like there should be a period right there. There's a solution almost none of us liked. But it says there's a solution almost none of us liked. The self-searching, the leveling of pride, the confession of shortcomings, which the process requires for its successful consummation. I don't want the solution. I want to be crazy. I want you to give me a pill and for me to feel better using a pill. Like, I don't want, this book says that we have a spiritual solution. The doctor says, and unless a psychic change. So I came in and I was very much an atheist agnostic when I came into rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And when they said your only solution is spiritual in nature, I tried as hard as I could not to find myself in this book because that wasn't the solution I wanted. But when I sat down with my sponsor and I realized how screwed I really was with this disease. And, and, and on top of that, not only was I screwed because of this disease, but I saw that through my own self-will, I was unable to stop drinking that when I came into the rooms of AA and I started to know a little bit more about myself, I was able to stop, unable to stop drinking by just knowing what I knew. And that when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous and I had all this fear of what would happen if I went back out drinking and people would talk to me about the not yet and try and scare me into staying sober, I also did not, was unable to stay sober. So I tried all these other things to try and stay sober. I tried going out with friends and only drinking the way they drank. I tried shutting myself up in my apartment and never going out. I I tried all sorts of things to try and not drink. And I was unable to do it. I was absolutely unable to do it. So I finally come to this belief like, okay, maybe I don't know how to stay sober. Maybe I can't keep myself sober. And my, 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 my sponsor's like, great. Let's go over to this other page. Um, real quick, though, the psychic change that, that the doctor talks about, we can read about what that looks like on page 27. It says here and there, this is Dr. Young. So Dr. Young knew what the solution to alcoholism was. He knew that it was a spiritual solution, but he did not know how to get anyone to that solution. So he writes, here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. To me, these occurrences are phenomena. He didn't understand them. He didn't know how to get to them. They appear to be in nature of a huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes were which once the guiding forces of the lives of these men are suddenly cast to one side and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. That is, that is in essence, you know, the psychic change. When in how it works, we say, if you want what we have, this is what we have. We have a spiritual solution today. We have spiritual experiences today. If you want what we have, then you are willing to go to any lengths and are willing to go to any lengths. Then you're ready to take certain steps. 
So pretty much my ideas, emotions, and attitudes when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous were I was a cheat, a thief, and a and and I I I stole, I lied, I I I you know, I was I was a mess. I was an absolute mess. So you're telling me that I don't have to be that mess anymore? Absolutely. I don't want to be this mess anymore. So my my sponsor then takes me over to this step, the step two question. And it's on uh It is on page 47. Uh, Five minutes. Okay, no problem. We're good. Um, So she took me over to this, this step two question, which says, do I now believe or am I even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? And again... I was an atheist. I was an agnostic. I thought by power greater than myself or God, as you understood him, she was trying to trick me into this idea of believing in like the God that she believed in or that, you know, I just, I just thought it was a trick. So I said, no, I'm not willing. And she just exasperatedly looked at me and she said, Risa, can you at least believe you're not God? Can you believe at least that you don't have the answer and solution to this? And after some thinking, I said, yeah, I can believe that. And she said, can you believe that by working the 12 steps, I'm doing better than you are now? And I said, yeah, absolutely. I can believe that. And she said, can you believe that by working the 12 steps, you're going to feel better than you feel now? And I said, yes, absolutely. And she said, let's go then. She didn't spend time looking at what I believed God is or isn't. She didn't believe, like, she didn't have me go searching for a higher power. She knew that I needed to get through the steps to build that relationship with some sort of spirituality that was going to keep me sober. Because in and of myself, I didn't have the power to do it. And so then she brought me to the step three. And when I was new, all that meant was I was making a decision to go along with the rest of the steps. That was it. That was it. And so I I started, I took step three and I said, yeah, I don't want to live this way. I want to live a different way. And she said, good, let's keep it moving. And we went through four and five and we started to see, I, my eyes started to open up to what my life really was like without alcohol in it and with being just trying to manage everything on my own. I didn't like it too much. So in six and seven, I easily gave it to a higher power, which I started to kind of believe in a little bit. You know, I continued to go on through those rest of those steps. And by step 12, I found that I had had a spiritual experience. I never had that spiritual awakening right away, but I did have a spiritual experience. And I did see that as a result of working the steps, all of the things in that on page 27 that I had just read had come true. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding force of these lives, are suddenly cast to one side and a completely new set of conceptions and motives began to dominate me. And I started to have freedom and I was able to go anywhere alcohol was without being horribly attacked by alcohol or my obsessions and my, my mind. 
And so through the 12 step, I share, I come and share, and I tell people about the freedom that I've been able to gain through working the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, through building a a relationship with a higher power. And by living on spiritual principles, I'm able to go wherever a free person can go today. And I am happy and I am joyous and I am free. And that is something that I never would have had without working the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous through the big book and following the practical directions that are outlined in it. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. Um, all right. Regional seven states that every want to be self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Newcomers are asked uh, not to contribute as the bag will be passed around. Okay. 